All right. What's up, Soma? How's it, get, how's it going tonight? Awesome. Sweet. Um, all right. So uh, let's, let's do it this way. How many of you guys have ever gotten in trouble for something you didn't do, but you got in trouble because you were associated with the people who did it? All the time, right? Like, it's absolutely the worst. Um, Vince looks, you look like you have a story. I don't want to tell it. Okay, then he won't tell it. Does somebody want to tell their story? This was very unexpected. I was not planning this. Okay, nobody has a good story. Okay, so I have, yeah, Michelle. Yeah, yeah, stand up. Talk really loud so the whole internet can hear you on our podcast. Yeah, so, yeah, that one, you were definitely the one who did it. So, um, doesn't exactly fit. Uh, Anybody else? But it's a good story. Anybody else? Anyway, so um, this would happen all the time uh, when I was in high school playing football. Football is very much a team sport, so if somebody does something wrong... um, Everybody gets in trouble. So there's one time, there was this one guy, um, he was just a huge, like, star, really good player. He got caught partying, and I went to LAB, um, and he wasn't partying, like, piñatas and party favors. He was, like, really partying. Um, Dude's a star on the team. He gets caught somehow, and then he gets kicked off the team. The whole team suffers because of this one guy's mistake. There was another time, it was the middle of summer, and, um, you know, summer's obviously really hot because it's summer. Um, and summer practice is the worst because you're not even really playing football. You're just sort of just running around in the heat. Like there's no balls being thrown, no tackling going on. You're just running around. Um, so practice comes to an end. All of us go to the locker room. We're glad we're done, right? We're changing. We're out into our like regular clothes. And outside of the locker room, two guys are in a fist fight. Um, these two guys are actually like really good friends. We used to sit at the same lunch table. And what had happened was that the first guy had just broken up with this girl. And the second guy was now caught making out with this girl that the first guy had broken up with. Um, so, so the coach, he sees these two guys like going at it. They're not just like pushing each other, like full on fist fight. Uh, and he breaks them apart and he's absolutely furious. And he just starts yelling at everyone. Right? He's like, put your pads back on, like you all are running. And we're like, what? Like, how is this fair at all? And he's like, nope, shut up, no complaining, put your pads back on, you're running. So all of us march back out there, and we're so mad because it's like, this is unfair. I didn't fight. I didn't make out with this girl, right? Well, why do I... Why do I have to run? That's just not fair. It was guilt by association, and it seemed unfair, Now, what if, though, the penalty wasn't just running? What if the penalty was death? (laughs) That would be ridiculous. Um, That would be like child abuse. That would be murder. Um, But that's what we get in Romans 5. Okay, the penalty, guilt by association, we're lumped into Adam's sin, and the death, and we get the death penalty that Adam deserved. Now, we somehow bear responsibility for what Adam did. And that might seem unfair. But the reality is that that idea of corporate responsibility is actually good news for us. So um, before we start, let me go ahead and pray. 
Lord, um, I just give you thanks uh, for your word, God, where you speak truth to us, God. Truth that at times can be challenging, Lord, and truth that at times can be uh, uplifting, Lord. So I pray that you just give us ears to hear your word tonight, God, that anything that might be distracting us, anything that might be getting uh, in the way of us fully hearing what you have for us tonight, God, that those things would just fade away, God, and that we would just focus our attention on you. Lord, I pray that Jesus' name would be glorified, God, that he would be seen as greater and better than we saw him before uh, we walked into this room tonight, God, and I just um, pray that I wouldn't get in the way of what it is that you're doing tonight. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you guys are new, my name is Chris Wozniki, and I'm on staff here at SOMA. Uh, and as you can see, we are starting a brand new series. This is actually the second of three series in Romans uh, that we're going through, and this one's called Unchained. And over the last few weeks, uh, we've been sort of just talking about the core truths of the gospel. Specifically, we've been talking about one aspect of it, which is that religion, or performance, if you want to call it that, doesn't actually bring life. The only thing that really brings life is putting our faith in Christ. But the truth is, even though we have life because of Jesus, a lot of times you don't experience the fullness of life that he has to offer to us, right? So many times we're conquered by sin or by shame, right? We're, we're bound by these things. So it's like, yeah, like we are alive because of Christ, but we aren't really living because there's so much more to this life that Jesus has to offer than what a lot of us experience on a daily basis. A lot of us experience our walk with God as an uphill battle, right? It's like a grind. Either it's super boring or it feels purposeless or it feels monotonous or on the flip side, it's just filled with struggles and battles and frustration. But Paul, as we're going to see tonight, tells us that God has so much more to offer to us than what we've been experiencing. He says that we don't need to keep crawling back to those things that hold us down, that we're no longer slaves to sin, that we're no longer slaves to death, that we're no longer slaves to the enemy, to the enemy but that we're actually free in Christ. So over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look not just at how Christ saved us, so what we've been looking at in the last few weeks, but how Christ unchains us from the things that bind us. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we'll be starting at verse 12. All right, give me a word when you got it. Sweet. Somebody says no, they're not ready. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to go ahead and start reading. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, for the law was given, sin, for before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. All right, honestly, this is one of the most dense, most complex 
confusing passages in the Bible. Paul makes all these sorts of logical steps that at times are really hard to follow. But basically, he's saying three things. And here are the three things. That sin came into the world because of one man, Adam. That death came into the world because of that one sin. And that we all sinned with Adam. All right, I started the night with a story of guilt by association. Two guys fought, all of us had to run, um, all of us faced the consequences of these guys' actions. But that's not exactly what Paul's saying here, right? He, it's actually a lot deeper than that. He's not just saying that Adam did something and we have to pay the consequences of it, right? He's also not saying that because Adam did this thing a really long time ago, that we follow his example, This is not about us seeing an example of sin and somehow that's the only thing we know and we keep doing that sort of thing. You guys know how um, little kids want to be like their parents, right? So they like imitate them, they copy them, they do all that sort of stuff. Um, There's this country singer, Rodney Atkins, and I don't know if you guys remember a few weeks ago, I brought up another country song by Sam Hunt and I actually sang it for you guys. Um, Rodney Atkins has a song called Watching You. You guys want me to sing that for you again? No, it's not going to happen this time. Anyway, so Rodney Atkins, he tells this story of his kid who's sitting in the front seat eating chicken nuggets in the car. Super lame, like typical country song, like that's what country's about, lame stuff like that. Anyway, Rodney hits the brakes, and I can just imagine this happening, it's so funny in my mind. And he hits the brakes, and this kid's chicken nuggets go flying all over the place. Soda goes all over the place, and the kid just drops an S-bomb. And Rodney, and remember, this is all a song. Like, he's singing about this. He flips out, and he's like, where did you learn that? And the little kid's like, I've been watching you, Dad. I want to be like you. That's not what happened with Adam, right? We didn't see Adam's sin, and all of a sudden, we're like, okay, like, we're going to be like our father, Adam, Right? Because it's obviously who would say that? Like, oh yeah, I, w- I saw sin, I want to sin. No, that's, that's not how it works. And it's not like we learn from him and we don't know any other behavior. He's, Paul's also not saying that it was, that we die because of an infection, like a disease. Like sin were this disease that gets passed on to us, even though that's true. But that's not what he's saying here. It's actually a lot deeper than that. What Paul is saying is that somehow, and this is, really mysterious, we're organically linked to Adam. Like we're one with him. And because of that, when he sinned, we sinned along with him. We sinned back then, so we get that penalty of death. And it doesn't seem fair, right? Like Adam's in the garden, like chilling. It's like paradise, right? Um, He's sitting back, relaxing, sipping on like a virgin pina colada because it's paradise. And here comes Eve, right, with this fruit, and she's like, here, Adam, like, put that drink down. Try this fruit. It's so good. And then he, th- he thinks, he's like, oh, like, the Lord said I shouldn't eat of this one specific fruit from this one specific tree. What should I do? Should I eat it and listen to God, or should I listen to what she said? And he's like, ah, oh, screw that. Like, I'm just going to do what she said. Screw what God said. And he eats it, right? And somehow, Paul says that we are guilty for what Adam did. That somehow we were guilty of eating that fruit as well. That doesn't make sense, 
right? In our minds, it doesn't compute. And that's partly because we live in this super hyper-individualistic Western culture where my choices determine who I am, what I'll be, right? What I'll do and how successful I'm going to be. It's all about my choices as an individual. But that's not how people back then thought, right? And that's actually not how most people around the world think either. People used to think and still do think corporately, right? One person can act as a representative for others. Think about it this way. It's like we elect senators who represent us. Like we're not there, but they're representing us over there and they're acting on our behalf. Or how a president can declare war on behalf of the country. And we're not the ones who are declaring war, but somehow that's our action. We're implicated in that, right? We're not there, but in some sense, our representatives' actions are really our actions. And that still might not seem fair because you elected your representative, right? Like, you elected your president. I mean, knowing this room, probably you did not elect (laughs) the president. Um, But... Theoretically, you elected your representatives. That's not how it went with Adam, right? Nobody sat ar- none of you guys sat around and took a vote and said, okay, Adam, you're going to represent the human race. But think about it this way, though. No one could have chosen a better representative as well as God could have, right? God didn't simply choose Adam Right? God created Adam to be your representative. He was created and designed to act exactly as you personally, as an individual, would have acted. He's the perfect representative of what you would have done. So the point of all of this is that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. And we all experienced death because of what Adam did. And it's not just that we experience death. It's that death reigns. So if you guys are taking notes, that's your first fill-in. Death reigns because of Adam. So what does that even mean, that death reigns? It means that death is the norm, right? That death is the standard. It's all around us, that we can't escape it, that it touches everything around it. But it's a lot more than just physical death, although that's a part of the fall, physical death. For death to reign, it means that brokenness affects all of our relationships. Death equals relational brokenness. See, as human beings, um, we all have four very basic relationships. We have our relationship to God. We have our relationship to ourselves. We have our relationship to others and to creation. Because of Adam, all of those relationships suffer, right? And so here's how he experienced death with others. That's uh, one of your feelings with others. And honestly, this is the easiest one to see because it's the most obvious, right? Families are broken. Fathers leave. Siblings are addicted. Divorce happens. Hatred fills relationships. There's conflict. We fight. We talk behind each other's back. And even on a larger scale, uh, we act differently towards people who are different than us, right? Racism, sexism, nationalism, all these isms are a thing. But death with others most often doesn't come through these big, large-scale, extreme sorts of things. Usually, it's a lot more subtle than that. 
death with others is very subtle. Because many, most of our relationships aren't that messed up. But there's one way uh, that, you, that you see it, and you can sort of see this in life groups, and you've probably seen it in life groups. One way is that we don't really trust each other. Right? So we hold back from our relationships and from fully diving in. Right? Sociologists have recently uh, coined this term for this entire like iPad, iPhone generation. And, ba- and it's, uh, it's a term they call information grazers. Basically, the idea is that we have so much information available to us on our phones at all time uh, that we've forgotten how to read slowly and deeply and carefully. That we've just become this generation of skimmers. At best, we can only read the first sentence of like an article or a blog or anything before we get bored uh, and move on to the next thing. Brokenness in our relationships has caused us to become relational grazers, where we have all of these places to meet, right? And all of these people that we know at church, at school, and life group, uh, on Instagram, on Twitter, all this sort of stuff, we have all these relationships, but we don't go deep with them. And why is that? Partly it's because we live in this super rushed, quick, hurried commu- sort of environment and culture, Right? That's really real. You can't go deep when everything is rushed. Right? You can't build deep, meaningful relationships when you're just uh, in a hurry all the time. Right? Real relationships take time. But it's not just that. I think part of it, too, is that we're afraid. Right? We're afraid that if people were to discover the real me and know me for all of my weaknesses and all of my faults and all of my sins, that we'd be rejected. Right? That, that if we open up with who we really are, that somehow that'll get thrown back into our face. Or even worse, that people will sort of just dismiss it and move on. Right? You'll feel like they don't care. Or what happens sometimes is that information somehow gets out. Right? And that hurts when people that you didn't want to know those things end up knowing those things. But that's not how it's meant to be. Right? But that's a consequence of death in this world. The second thing is that we experience death in creation. Death in creation. So after Adam's sin, God said in Genesis that the land would be cursed. Right? Work would be hard. That the earth would produce thorns and thistles. That we would struggle and toil against creation. But with all of our modern conveniences, we sort of forget that the struggle is real. And like the struggle is real. Right? It's free. If it's freezing cold, we turn on the heater. If it's too hot, we turn on the air conditioning. If we don't have food, we go to the market. Right? If we don't have water, you turn on the tap or you get a water bottle. Right? We don't have to raise our own food. We don't have to brave the elements. We don't have to walk miles to get fresh water. It's all available to us. But for many people around the world, that's a reality. Right? They still struggle, struggle and toil against creation. But it's not just us struggling against creation. Creation struggles because of us as well. Right? In Romans 8, Paul says that all of creation has been subject to frustration. He says that all of creation was waiting. It's waiting to be liberated from bondage and from decay it struggles because of us, because we were created to steward it and to, to help make it flourish, to help make it reach its potential. And instead, what humanity has done is that it's dominated it. 
usually for selfish gain. See, God has made creation to sing of his glory. You see that all over the Psalms, that the heavens declare his glory. Right? But when we harm it, when we destroy it, it loses its voice. And we can't hear us what it tells us about God. Right? Third thing is we experience death with ourselves. We struggle with self-doubt. We struggle with the need to prove ourselves, not just to people around us, but to prove ourselves to ourselves, right? We struggle with chasing after things that validate us, that say that we're actually worth something. We struggle with sin, with doing the things that we know we don't want to do, but somehow we always end up doing those things. Sin actually alienates us from being who we want to be. Right? And we fight in this life for meaning and purpose and all this sort of stuff. And we struggle with feelings of shame and worthlessness, shame about the things that have been done to us or shame about things that we have done to other people. And we sometimes feel like we just can't shake those things. Like somehow those things have left this permanent mark on who we are. All of those things are consequences of Adam's sin. It's not how it was meant to be. And of course, finally, we experience death with God in our relationship with him. And we sort of saw this uh, in our last series, right? That it's so clear that God has created us to be in loving relationship with him. But instead, our natural fallen state is either to hate him or to fear him, right? And if we fear him, we have this sort of relationship with him where we try to do things to appease him or to make him love us or to do things that make him happy instead of just knowing that he loves us for who we are. That he loved us even though while we were still sinners. And all of that, that's not the way it's supposed to be. But that's the outcome of Adam's uh, sin. So um, let's keep going. Romans 5.15. And here um, we're going to see that even though Adam, as our representative brought sin and death into the world. That there is another representative who brings something so much better, so much greater than anything Adam could have ever done. Let's uh, pick up at verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. Again, talking about Adam. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if the, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life to the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was the condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners— so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So Paul sets up these two categories that everyone fits in. Either you're in Adam, the one man, or you're in Christ. In Adam, Paul says that many died because of his sin. But the gift 
is so unlike the consequences that Adam brought. The gift of grace is so much greater than what Adam gave to us. In, in the Greek, it's, it doesn't just say that it's better, right? It says that it's super better, that it's super abundant, that it's so much greater. It's this picture of unending, unflowing grace that just infinitely flows, right? It knows no bounds. In other words, God's grace is infinitely greater than any sin. And because of the sin of that one man, Adam, a lot of, many died, right? But because of the grace of Christ, many are going to have life. By that one man, Adam, judgment and condemnation came. But because of Christ's perfect obedience for us, we're justified. As Dave talked last week, it doesn't just mean that our sin is taken away, right? That, that it's erased and we start with this blank slate. No, to be justified means that Jesus transfers all of his righteousness to us. That because of Adam, death reigned, but because of Christ, life reigned. Right? And it's not just that life reigned, Paul says. It's that we will reign in life. That's different. We will reign in life. So Paul, the point that Paul is making is that grace is so much greater than sin. Adam brought on all these bad things. Right? He brought on death. But Jesus just doesn't fix those bad things. Jesus doesn't just reverse it, right? Jesus reverses the curse of Adam and actually lifts us way higher than we ever started. See, I'm, I'm not a super poetic person. Um, you guys who know me know me. Like, I'm not very creative. Um, but there are some poets that I really like. Uh, there's this group of poets called metaphysical poets. And I know that's a weird name, Usually we talk about metaphysical. It's like weird crystals and energies and stuff like that sort of stuff. That's not what it is. Um, But in the 17th century, there was this group of poets called the metaphysical poets who wrote a lot about religion and love and stuff like that. And one guy, George Herbert, Herbert, uh, he was an Anglican priest, and he's my favorite, one of these guys. And he wrote one poem that... I first heard in high school that I absolutely fell in love with. Um, And it captures this idea that grace is so much greater than sin. So let me go ahead and read some, some of George Herbert's Easter wings for you guys. And it says, Lord who createst, createst man in wealth and store, though foolishly he lost the same, the fall. Right? decaying more and more till he became most poor. So humanity hits rock bottom. Right, That's the Adam part. Now he's talking about Christ. With thee, oh, let me rise as larks harmoniously that sing this day thy victories. Then shall the fall further the flight in me. Basically, he's saying, because of the fall, we hit rock bottom. But because we're in Christ, we can soar to heights that were way even higher than anything we ever started at. So it's not just that God erased our mistake and brought us to to a blank slate or started us from scratch. He takes his grace and elevates us, right? Grace doesn't just give us a blank state to work with. 
it takes us way beyond where we started. And some of you guys, you guys know that. And you've heard stories of that. I've heard countless and countless stories of how people have faced the consequences and effects of sin and how God has turned those things around and created something so much greater. I've, I've heard countless stories of people who've dealt with depression. Right? And God comes in and he takes those people and he turns them into people who are so filled with joy. Right? I've heard uh, of people who have grown up in households that are just filled with uh, abuse, physical and verbal, and you would never think, you would think that those things would pass on to their children and their children would do that and their children's children would do that. But the Lord's grace intervenes and he breaks those generational things and they become awesome parents. I know people who've faced and dealt with just sexual sin upon sexual sin, and they think that they could never be clean and pure. But the Lord takes that, and I've seen how he's turned those things into just beautiful relationships. See, the Lord doesn't just erase those things, make you forget those things. He transforms those things into things that are so much greater. Continuing on verse 20. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's your filling. You reign in life. You reign in life. Because of Christ. Now what does that mean? Reigning in life means living in the freedom of God's purpose. That's what it means for you to reign in life. That you live in the freedom of God's purpose. Let me just give you three examples of this. Going off of um, the ones we had talked about earlier. So creation. Remember our relationship with creation suffers uh, from brokenness, and that's not how it's meant to be. Creation is meant to be this sort of living classroom, right? Where it's made to speak to us of God's greatness and of his glory. And we're made to be able to go outside and see stuff like Yosemite Valley, like that. Um, This is my friend, Jem, and he says he takes these pictures with his iPhone. I think he's an absolute liar. Um, anyway, so stuff like that. We're meant to see that and just see the vastness and the greatness and just think of how much greater God must be than that, right? Or we look out into the night sky and see just the stars, which the Psalms say that the heavens declare the glory of God. Right? And we can see those things and think, yeah, like God is great. I mean, if we were living life in the fullness of our purpose, right, not living in death, but living in the life that Christ had to offer to us, we wouldn't just walk around mindlessly around creation not noticing that it actually sings of God's glory. We would see God's glory when we see a sunset like that one. Like that one. (laughs) Again, he says he does nothing to these pictures. Doesn't touch them up. Doesn't edit them. 
Yes, that's what I told him. That's what I told him. Anyway. Hmm. Do you know that? You guys know that for a fact? Okay. As long as he admits that he filters them. Anyway. We... If we were living in the fullness of what God has for us, we would see his glory and things like that. If we experienced life with creation, here's the other thing. We would be fulfilling our role of making it flourish. Right? And by that, I don't mean like we're going to go go around like hug trees. I don't get why people like to hug trees. They're not cuddly or comfortable or anything like that. Um, I don't mean that. I don't mean like we're going to walk around cleaning up the trash from the beach um, or sing to the forest animals like Snow White. Um, I, I, that has nothing to do with anything. But I saw that meme the other day. And it was so good. Um, anyway. So that's not necessarily what it means to make creation flourish. Um, But what it does mean is that you would find out the way in which you contribute to the world around you, right? How do you contribute to making this world flourish? This guy up here, um, Mihalia Kashum, you'll see his name in a second. Throw up the the quote by this guy. Oh, it doesn't say his name. Anyway, his name is... um, Let me just spell it for you guys, just so you guys know I'm not dumb and don't know how to pronounce it. His last name is spelled C-Z-I-K-Z-Z-E-N-T-M-I-H-A-L-Y-I. That's his last name. Um, He's a professor at Claremont. Anyway, so Professor C, he writes about this concept of flow. And basically flow is a state in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. The experience itself is so enjoyable, there's the name, that people will do it at great cost for the sheer sake of doing it. So where's your flow? What do you do? What's that thing that you so love doing that contributes to the world that God created? Right? Is, is, is it working with kids? Right? Is it making music? Is it writing? Is it organizing things? Is it selling stuff? What is it? Because that is where God created you to reign in life. That's where he made you to come alongside of his creation and help make it flourish. Second thing is um, with ourselves. Right? We struggle with death in ourselves and we struggle with feelings of shame and feelings of guilt and worthlessness and, and a lack of forgiveness for things that we've done in the past. But Christ offers life. And life in Christ means freedom from those things. Right? It means confidence in yourself. Not because you're so amazing. Not because these things that you've done don't matter. Right? Or because the things that have done, been done to you don't actually matter all that much. No, it's confidence in yourself because you know your true identity. Right? You know that your identity is not marked by being broken or by being worthless, but it's marked by God the Father saying to you that you are my son or you're my daughter. I loved you enough 
to have my son Jesus die on the cross on your behalf, that I loved you enough to pursue you so that you aren't worthless, that you shouldn't be ashamed of yourself, but that you should be proud of yourself because when God sees you, he sees a son or a daughter, and he actually sees Jesus in you. And because of that, you're more, we're worth way more in God's eyes than you can ever imagine. Confidence in life and in yourself comes from knowing those truths about you. And until you get that part of your identity and your security in the Lord and God's heart as a father for you, you're not going to be able to reign in life. Third thing, in your relationship with others. Some of you guys have broken relationships with family where you have just discord with a close friend right now and that's not the way it's supposed to be sometimes you can't control those things right like you could do everything right in that relationship but stuff doesn't actually change to let death reign in those situations is to let that brokenness get to you but if you reign in life then you would rise up above those situations St. Francis, um, whom the new pope named himself after, um, he has this prayer, which is just such an awesome picture of what it looks like to reign in life in our relationships instead of letting death reign in life. So here's what he says in his prayer. He says, O Lord, make us instruments of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. The first things are death, right? That's how death manifests itself in our relationships. The second things, those are life, right? Now, what if in our relationships, when we saw hatred or injury or or despair or darkness, we would be the kind of people that would bring love and hope and forgiveness and joy and light? That would be bringing life into those relationships. That's reigning in life. Okay, so all of these these things, they beg two questions for us to think about. The first one is, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Because there are no other other options. Either you're in Adam or you're in Christ. That's it. Before Christ, all of us stood in Adam. That was just the reality of things. And along with standing in Adam comes all of the consequences of that brokenness in our relationships with God, with creation, with ourselves, right? Eternal death for sin. That all came from being an Adam, and it's true of us if we're an Adam. That's until you decide to put your faith in Christ. Because the second you put your faith in Christ, you're transferred out of Adam and into Christ. Right? And you get all that God's grace has to offer to you. And you have life to the full. Not just life after death, not just like you're going to go to heaven, but you get life in the full now. So you have to ask yourself, who are you in? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? And if you're in Christ, you have to ask yourself, are you actually living reality? Are you actually living in reality? And I know that sounds weird because obviously all of us live in reality. 
But the truth is, it's so easy to step back into living lies. Right? We can live as though death reigned. But the fact is that death doesn't reign. Christ reigns. And because Christ reigns, we reign in life. That's reality, that we reign in life. So are you living in reality or are you living in this fake sort of world of death? Are you living in reality? Are you reigning? Or are you letting death have its way in your life? Second question for you guys is how are you experiencing death? How are you experiencing death? Death is brokenness, as we've said. We all experience death in some way or another in our relationships uh, with ourselves, with creation, with God. All of those things that happen to us sort of leave us cracked. Right? We feel, at times life can feel like we're this windshield that's a little bit cracked, and if all of a sudden this little rock hits it, it's all just going to shatter. Right? And we can go through life feeling as though the next thing that comes along our way, we might not be able to handle, and that thing's just going to break all of it. And then that little thing happens, and it breaks. The glass shatters. And then we think God is going to come along, right? and he's going to put all of the pieces back together. Like He's going to come along with some super glue, and he's really good at projects like this. Like He's been spending all day on Pinterest and coming up with ideas of what to do with our life. And he's going to glue back all the pieces, and the glass is going to be fixed. And you'll still see it. It's broken, but it's going to be fixed. But that's not what God does. God doesn't come and super glue the broken pieces together, because remember, grace is a lot greater than sin. What God actually does is that he takes those broken pieces, and he just doesn't restore that glass. He makes something way better out of that. God doesn't just restore to the original condition. Right? He takes you and he makes you better than you ever were before. Because that's what grace does. So in other words, this question is, where do you need a life? Because God is offering it to you. You just have to be willing to accept it and live in that reality. So the band's going to come up right now. And um, as it starts to play... I actually just want to spend some time uh, just going before the Lord. And sometimes we do exercises like this where we just spend time um, with God, just asking him to reveal certain things to us. So um, why don't we just uh, go ahead and close our eyes. Now just um, anything that might be distracting you, uh, I would just invite you to just release that unto the Lord. That you would just choose to focus uh, upon Him right now. And as you do that, um, I would just invite you to ask the Lord directly to reveal to you just any area of your life where you're experiencing brokenness right now. Now that might come super quickly. It might be super obvious. You might already have something in mind. But I would just invite you to let the Spirit speak to you because there might be something that you're just not aware of right now.
Just let him bring those things up to you. Just areas where you are not experiencing life in the full. That might be a broken relationship. That might be a sin that you're struggling with and can't seem to get over. Something that's been done to you. It's left this mark of shame on you. Just let him bring to mind those things. Now ask him to just reveal to you, to give you a picture, a word, a Bible verse or something that just would show to you what life, what life in the full, what real life could actually look like. Because that is the Lord's heart. The Lord wants you to live in the fullness of what he has to offer to you. Drown out any distractions and let him speak life over you right now. ahead and pray for us and um, during this time if the Lord brought anything to mind um, I'd, we're going to have life group leaders just around the room and I would just invite you to go up to them and just share with them what the Lord brought up um, and just allow them to pray for you so let me go ahead and pray for us as we uh, go ahead and worship the Lord for the life that he has to offer to us Jesus I, I just give you thanks because that because of your death, we can have life. God, there's no greater truth than that, that because of your son's death, that you offer us life in the full. God, and we're just so thankful for that. Lord, and we're just so in awe of the fact that you loved us so much, God, and that your grace is so much greater than any sin, God, that your grace is so much greater than anything that we've done or anything that's been done to us, Lord, but that your grace superabounds and it flows and it overflows infinitely into our lives, Lord. So I pray, God, that we would be a people who embrace the life that you have for us, God, that we wouldn't be people who walk, choose to walk, in death, God, but that we would choose life. Let this just be true of us. Let us live in the reality that Christ reigns so we reign in life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.